Welcome to Rippercast, your podcast on the Jack the Ripper murders. This is episode three, The Final Cut, the Whitechapel murders in radio, film, and television. I'm Jonathan Mangus coming to you from Topeka, Kansas. Joining us this week is Howard Brown from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hello, John. Hi, Howard. Mike Couple is our man in Hull. Hello, Mike. Hello. And we have Robert McLaughlin from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Hello, Robert. Hello, Jonathan. And special guest Justin Dombrowski from Erie, Pennsylvania. And Justin is an inspiring filmmaker. His uh, work in progress is titled Autumn of Terror. And in this show, we will be discussing not only his work, but also some of our favorite Ripper movies television shows, and radio broadcasts from the past. So, Justin, you're um, working on an independent movie, pretty much all done locally there in Erie. And and, um, it's it's called Autumn of Terror, and what you've done is you you are going to be incorporating um, small-scale models and... Computer graphics along with uh, live action um, actors. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that is uh, correct, John, as you were saying. Basically, um, <clears throat> to first start off, I actually had an idea. I was sitting down and I was watching a three disc special edition of Titanic with uh, Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. And they had a special feature section, and one of them they actually had was they showed how they did one of the dining rooms inside the actual Titanic. It was too big, too expensive to build as far as sets go. So what they did is they did a quarter-scale model, and what they did is they shot the actors against a green screen, and then they just digitally incorporated them into it. And as I was thinking about this idea, I was like, you know, you don't really have to be in London or some big film stage to actually make an actual good Ripper film. All you need is uh, talent and stuff like that. And the idea was born, you know, for the exterior shots, of course, just build these half not even really half-scale, quarter-scale models, you know, extremely detailed. Um, shoot the actors against a green screen, digitally incorporate them in, and as far as interior shots, you do that with sets or even in period buildings around here as well. So that's actually how that would come to terms with that. And you've also um, written uh, quite a bit of the screenplay um, that uh, some of us have read, and, and it is darn good. And... Um, and some of the uh, animation that you're uh, the um, framework of the animation um, is already completed of, of Buck's Row. And now, um, what what angle are you going? We're going to be discussing um, the uh, plots of past Ripper films. Um, what what's going to make your Ripper Ripper film different from movies like From Hell or the Michael Caine series or things like that? I think that the angle that I'm I've basically from the beginning stuck with is to distance it from all the other Ripper films and not in a negative way, but to be accurate. And by this means, you know, I'm not going to focus on any single suspect, although you will see several suspects in a film itself. It will not focus on one in general. Um, it will stray away from the royal conspiracy that has been beaten to death by Ripper films in the past, if you've seen with From Hell and the Jack Ripper miniseries with Michael Caine. Um, the sort of route that I'm going with this one is 
it's basically going to play out like it actually did in 1888. You know, these police officers, they didn't really have an honest clue who, you know, the suspect was. And I think that makes it more for a thrilling storyline is, you know, who did this? And, of course, along the way, like I said, there will be suspects um, in play into the screenplay themselves, as some of you have already read on the forums and that. But the main plot of this is, you know, it's through, you know, in the beginning – it's Aberline, you know, in his elder years, he's interviewed by a, a journalist from a daily paper, and he basically recounts his tale of how he was involved with the Ripper murders himself, starting from Buck's Row all the way up until the Kelly murders. And as far as that goes, I can already tell you, is the Ripper going to be, you know, found in this film? I can say yes and no, you're just going to have to wait and see. But as far as that goes, that's mainly what the plot detail is going to be about. Well, that, that sounds really interesting, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, I wish was in Ripper films, is that um, that it didn't end with a solution, um, but you just uh, were given a, uh, a, a field of suspects that, that you, in, a, in a movie you could all, you could make all equally plausibly guilty of the crime, and, and it would ultimately be left up. Uh, to the viewer to decide who they believe Jack the Ripper was. Uh, and that, that's kind of the thing that you're going for, right? Absolutely. Basically, um, like as I said, there will be some suspects in here, but they won't be really involved until the point where it'll, it'll stray from the actual main facts of the film. It won't involve tons of facts from one suspect that will stray from the main point of the film, which is the murders and the crimes themselves and just the whodunit factor of who did it. But at the end, you're going to be made uh, – the audience is going to be left to make their own assumption. Was he a butcher? Was he a doctor? Was he a woman? Was it a, was it a woman? Was it a male? Um, even we as you know, society still today don't really necessarily know who did it. And that makes this you know, an interesting tale for itself. And also as well, um, I think this idea that I'm going with now just comes to show you don't need uh, phony facts or this. You don't need actual suspects to make this story interesting. It writes itself actually with all the details. Right. And all can of, I, oh, uh, Jonathan, can I jump in with a quick question? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's Robert. Uh, Yes, uh, to follow up uh, on your point, Justin, uh, does that mean that uh, we're going to return to, let's say, if we're talking about the genre and uh, narrative, that uh, this is going to be more mystery and suspense instead of, let's say, like low-grade slasher film, that you're trying to bring back that whodunit element, that, that mystery and suspense that, you know, so many of us love? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, that's what's needed in a proper Ripper film. Um the gore in that is really, I don't think, it's nothing you really need to make a film successful. I think it's just um, an excess that should be left off to the side if it is not needed. Um, but as you were saying, yes, the whodunit and stuff, I feel that is what, you know, I'm trying to bring back with this film. Is It's going to be more of, you know, an on-the-edge-of-your-seat thriller. Um, of course, in some aspects, it's probably going to be entertaining for a ripperologist. In some aspects, more people are going to be intrigued by the actual true facts of it. And... By that sense, you know, it's it is you know as you said a mystery and suspense film, and that's the route I'm going. No horror in it, not a lot. Although the, there will be scenes of some of what the bodies look like, this and that. Um, 
but beyond actual showing the actual mutilations of the victims, it's not, it won't go into that much detail. It, that, that, in a sense, will be left up to the uh, audience's mind as, how do you think he met this person? How do you think he cut her open this way? That's so, but that's how that will go. So, so it is Just kind of a, uh, sorry, let me get this in real quick. It is kind of a, uh, a film for ripperologists then, because, because uh, I mean, we all know that what attracts us to the case or in large part, well, what attracts me to the case is, is almost like the thrill of the hunt as opposed mm-hmm. to, um, you know, the cops, uh, uh, cops and robbers type of a, a tale that we've been fed by Hollywood in the past. Um, and so, so it is, uh, it is kind of making it a movie that, that, um, is, um, it comes comes to the essence of the Ripper case, and what what I mean, and what um, in what does interest um, a certain segment of the public in in the case, right? Absolutely. But um, I, I like you were saying, this is going to be a film for Ripperologists, but it's not going to be just a film for them. It's going to be a film for society in general. But it will be a film that I believe that most Ripperologists will point to and say, that's how it should be done. That's how accurate it should be. That's how, you know, I believe it should be made. It shouldn't be made just as like, you know, a cheesy horror flick. It should be done correctly. Justin, let me ask you a question, buddy. This is Howard. Uh, how much of the day-to-day life in um, Whitechapel are you going to incorporate in your film? Is, does that play a um, heavy, heavy role in your film? I believe it's an important aspect. I hope to include you know, a good amount of it about the actual true aspects of uh, the Whitechapel. I'm not going to just focus on the, boom, here to, here's a murder scene, here's you know, Aberline trying to chase a suspect. It's going to include... Uh, daily life as far as Whitechapel to the grittiest degree of how it actually was back then. So expect to see tons of what daily life would have been back then. Um, in such books by like Philip Sugden um, and Paul Bake, they give accounts of what you know it was really life like and also as well. Another great book is The Grim Almanac of Jack the Ripper which does a day by day it does like a day by day story, and it basically you know lists accounts of what it was like back then. So I'm going to incorporate all kinds of details about how it was, and I think that in itself is one of the few aspects that make a Ripper case. Is if you see how dark and gritty this world was when he was doing it, you can understand sort of you know look this is what it, how hard it was to catch him because look how these dire circumstances are in the Lower East End. Aberline is the uh, central figure in your film, correct? Yes, yes, he is. But the way he is is um, it's going to be more so correctly as to how he really was. I've read, you know, parts um, of articles here, and I said he wasn't the head person. But what we do know is he was in charge of the investigation itself, from what I read. I may be uh, wrong on that, but he is going to be a, play a big crucial role. And don't expect any. Um, Gifted, gifted talent is, uh, talents, excuse me, such as being able to see into the future or drunkenness here. <laughs> right, well, thank you. Yeah, Mike, um, you've read uh, parts of the screenplay and, and have seen the movie. Um, uh, the, the footage of Bucks Row that, that uh, Justin has online, what, um, what are your impressions? And do you want to ask some questions here? I thought the script uh, was fantastic. I really enjoyed it, the way it set the scene at the beginning um, and the way it plays out. Looking at the footage that Justin's created of Bucks Row um, and it's placed on YouTube as well and I'm sure 
they'll provide the address um, for you to put on the um, the website. Um, being there a couple of weeks ago and looking around and, and seeing it for myself and then going back and looking at the footage that Justin's made, obviously that some of the buildings have changed, but it's like being there again. Um, it really was fantastic. Um, and you heard- I watched from hell the other night and... Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, and you—you're like a, a film script nut, pretty much, Mike. Right? I mean, you, yeah, yeah. You've—you've you've written quite a few uh, screenplays yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the the flow of the story, the introduction, the way it all pans out, and you know, the way the characters and the dialogue, and you know, it's really fantastic. And when you start reading it, it just kind of flows. And it, it what so far, what Justin's posted on jtrforums.com is a massive um, piece of his script but you just find that you flow through it from one end to the other um, and it's a nice script I've read some scripts where they're quite disjointed and you're having to refer back to parts that you've read previously but it, the flow to it's quite nice as well so and for those that haven't read it yet it's it starts off with uh Eberlein receiving a, a reporter in 1903 has happened and uh, giving an interview and uh, him reflecting back on the Jack the Ripper case. And then it jumps, bang, right back, right into uh, the autumn of terror, right, right into it with uh, the murder of Polly Nichols, which, which I wanted to follow up on. Uh, we, we know where it starts. Uh, uh, how far do you go with the story? I mean, most end it. Uh, you know, after the murder of Mary Kelly, and then they have a solution, what have you? And I, and I was just wondering, like, uh, where do you return to? Like, like after, like, where do you stop with with this? I think that um, with a story like this, there is really no end, definite end that you can actually put into the storyline itself. Mainly, an idea that I had, which will probably incorporate itself into the film, was. Towards the end of the film, it comes back to the present 1903 day, and um, I had an original script where Aberline just, he happens to walk into Mitre Square, you know, sort of reminiscing and taking in sort of all that's happening, and and then the camera would just do like a 360-degree view of Mitre Square, and it would go into like the skyline of London, and this huge um, musical score would play, and, and the sort of... The theme or, or symbolism of that would be uh, retribution and, you know, the continuality. Of this is going to go on and on. You're never going to find out his name. Yet out of all these um, crimes, there's, you know, there's light in the sky. You know, there's birds flying around. You got, you know, you can see beyond a distance. Whereas before, you know, it was a fog choke, you know, uh, district and stuff like that. Basically, by the end of the film, I think the ending is going to be left open that, the Ripper's identity will not be solved. That's um, basically a given. But in the end, it's basically, it goes on forever, and it's your interpretation of how you want it to end. And, and Justin, how long have you been working on this, and when do you envision that the rest of us will get to actually see the finished product? I've been working on it for about maybe a year. Um, about a year ago, um, I started posting on casebook.org, which all of you would probably agree is a fantastic site. And ever since then, you know, I was finishing high school and I actually birthed my daughter in my senior year of high school. So I was sort of, you know, pummeled with all kinds of stuff. But now that I'm getting older and stuff like that, I've had, found more time to work on the screenplay. Um, and I think 
that, you know, it's coming along quite fast. Um, I sort of set a temporary release date of, as of 2010, but that's just on a whim. I do know that um, most definitely there will be filming by the, the end of this year, whether it be interior shots or exterior shots against green screens. But you can I, – I can definitely say that for all of us on here and all for people listening, you can definitely see – you will definitely – excuse me um, – get to see a teaser trailer by the end of the year, um, which, of course, will specially debut on jtrfarms.com. And next year at uh, whatever Ripper conference there is, I will be more than happy to bring along some shooted footage just for the available audience to see. So you can expect to see stuff by the end of this year and next year. Um, at a tops four years, it would be out because, you know, I want to take my time on this. Don't want to rush anything. And plus... Uh, you got to work with a considerable budget where everything is done correctly, and I want to make sure that everything is done right. Uh, excuse me, Justin. Speaking of budget and um, extras, um, mm-hmm. how much do you envision that this is, this project is going to cost? And have you been able to uh, call in some uh, local talent to work on your film? I think, as far as a budget goes, I'm looking at anywhere between fifty thousand to a hundred thousand. And there are a lot of – Erie has a lot of independent filmmakers. Um, one who's – one or actually a couple of them actually gone on to Sundance Film Festivals, and I've talked to a couple of them, and they said, you know, more than willing to help you. And a producer of mine, producer friend of mine, he's able to get tons of funds, he told me in a meeting that I actually had with him like about a couple of months ago. So as far as local talent goes, there's a lot of – well – actors here in the Pennsylvania area who are more than willing to commit to a project. Um, most of them have acted in tons of plays and stuff here, as well as there's a lot of actors that even go down as far as Pittsburgh who are going to probably be participating as well. Will there will be a role for Howard Brown in, in this film? Yeah, do you have any you have any room for a, um, any handsome drunks? <laughs> if, 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 you, if you want to. Um, if you want image to. of Aberlein, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, you guys, you're more than, more than happy, the more the merrier. And I've even um, stated in the making of this film, there's, there's two things that I want to happen. Anybody who, of course, has access to this area when filming does happen, is more than welcome to come and watch and observe. And so I can take you guys a, t- a tour around whatever is filming, whatever models are being built, more of an inside job. So this way I can ensure people of the community as well as, you know, future audiences that are going to watch this film say, look, this is an insight into this, you know, project. I want you guys to get a feel for what it's like. As far as acting and stuff, you guys are more than happy to, if anybody wants to, go right ahead. Yeah. That's fine. Well, that sounds great. Now, Justin, um, we're going to start with you and kind of go around the room here. Um, what What's your f- uh, favorite Ripper movie that you've seen? Favorite Ripper movie? My favorite Ripper movie, I think, I'd have to be split down the middle and make it two. I'm going to quite say Hitchcock's The Lodger was, I believe, one of the excellent films. Even though it's not about Jack the Ripper itself, it has, you know... Um, obviously a sort of copycat, you know, thing to it, but it has a great feel for what a film like that should be. And one of my other favorites, I would have to say, would be, it depends on my mood, would be From Hell. That depends on my mood if 
I'm in the mood to bash the film while I'm watching it out loud or just be any like any other uh, going uh, audience member and just sit there and watch the film. But those would be my two favorites right there. And what about you, Howard? Um, I'd have to go with the 1944 film by John Brom, The Lodger, uh, that starred Laird Krigar. Um, and then I probably I probably go with Murder by Decree, the 1979 film with Christopher Plummer and James Mason. Those those would probably be my two favorite Ripper movies. Although I'm I'm I, I it would depend on my mood too. Sometimes I'm in the mood for Pandora's Box or Time After Time. Yeah, see, Time After Time is probably my favorite one. Now, you're going to have to give me a copy of Pandora's Box because I, I'm certainly not going to fork over $40 for it at, at my local major uh, retail chain bookstore. Um, and, and I love Hitchcock's The Lodger as well. Um, and what about you, Robert? Well, it's, it's difficult. I mean... Uh... Once again, uh, like all of you, it, it, it depends on the mood I'm in. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I want atmosphere, you know, like in Hitchcock, I, I want the mystery aspect of it. You know, sometimes I want, you know, the gritty, you know, uh, characteristics that From Hell has, you know. And sometimes I want that that humor in the narrative that you get in Murder by Decree. And, uh, and then, of course, the, a fun piece like Time After Time, so... Once again, it, it really all depends on how I'm feeling that day. And Mike? I've got to say, Michael Caine in the 1988. I know it was made for TV, um, but in the UK it's out on a double disc. Um, there's a two-parter, and it's, that's one of my favourites. But again, depending upon the mood, I, like Justin, I can sit and I can watch from Ellen and nitpick. Um, and time after time, where the suspect was a Dr. Stevenson. I'll let you read into that what you, what you will. Dr. Um, Stevenson? Certainly, yeah. And then, uh, of course, uh, finally, um, I'm a big fan of Kung Fu. Um, so I've got to say uh, Jackie Chan, uh, Shanghai Nights. Um, they actually filmed on the Prague from Hell set. And there is a small section in the film where Jack the Ripper makes an appearance and Jackie Chan's sister... Um, keeps his backside, so uh, that's a bit of a fun one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check that one out. Now, um, so we know that um, it's it's almost been um, a, coming up on a hundred years since the first Jack the Ripper themed movie was made, um, Lulu, and um, but but. Um, as we know, um, it really hit it. I, I, I kind of count uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Lodger as being the first, um, you know, directly inspired by the Ripper Murders uh, movie. And Alfred Hitchcock was also uh, the first uh, to bring Jack the Ripper to the radio in 1940 with his radio adaptation of The Lodger. And um, and 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 it, it's interesting how it, if you go through the chronology of Ripper films, how um, the suspects 
change over time. You know, the early there was a whole slew of early movies: The Man in the Attic, Room to Let, The Lodger. Um, uh, There's three versions of The Lodger made, um, where um, where where that that scenario was played out as uh, as far as uh, the suspect and the Rupert killings. But more recently, we've fallen into this trap of um, the royal conspiracy. We, we can't seem to shake the royal conspiracy um, with Ripper movies. Um, although, Howard, you, were, you had uh, mentioned one um, that was like a Jill the Ripper um, a scenario that was made for television recently. Uh, yeah, that was on Criminal Minds. It's an uh, American television program series. Um, I don't know what year it was made in. I, it was it was made in this century. It was made uh, 2004, 2005, and uh, from what I understand, it was quite good. But it had a female ripper in that one. And as and as early, I mean, as 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 recent as uh, 1999, we had a uh, a royal conspiracy um, play out in in a television show. Is that right? Or no, that was a movie, wasn't it? The the ripper. Uh, 1997. Yeah, that's that's the one uh, starring Patrick Bergen. Uh, it was made in 1997, and uh, Australian production. And, and Prince Eddie uh, is your Ripper. Uh, once again, very fancifully told. Uh, it's, it stays away from the Masonic aspect, but still, it, it's well trodden ground for most of us. Right, and. Um um, let's talk about From Hell, shall we? Um, the, it's the, the biggest Hollywood production made on the Ripper case, Heather Graham, Johnny Depp. Um, it happens to be, now, it, Justin said it was one of his most favorite um, Ripper movies, depending on the mood he was in. I, myself, um, have a hard time making it through the first 15 minutes of that movie, no matter what kind of mood I'm in. So, um, let's, uh, Justin, what, what, what is, what's your, uh, critique on From Hell? Um, as I was saying, it depends on what mood I'm in. Usually my mood is all the time is not to watch it. My critique would probably be that it is, um, besides showing the fact of how gritty Whitechapel is, it's probably one of the worst Ripper films that I've actually, actually seen. Um, you know, there's been, we we were discussing earlier about the fact of accuracy and stuff like that. That they were trying to say, oh, we want this to be as accurate as possible. Yet when we got the um, film, it was, you know, sort of like a hypocritical, um, you know, factor. You know, you got all these actors and that saying, oh, we want you know accuracy and with uh, Bucks Row. You know, the way that set was on. When I was watching the movie, I didn't feel like I was in Whitechapel. I felt like I was on a movie set. I wasn't, you know, that's why I say, you know, it depends on my mood because most of the time I'm not able to get into the film enough to say, you know, look, this is how it really was. It's it's so cramped. It's not wide open like the actual um, uh, Whitechapel area itself. And that's a problem I think I've had um, going into watching this film. And besides that, as I've said plenty of times before, the way the um, actors portray their characters, great acting, by all means, with uh, 
Johnny Depp and everybody else. Um, don't get me wrong, but I think um, in this aspect that the Hughes brothers are probably afraid to have this heartthrob of a leader of an actor divulge himself into the actual full uh, facial hair that Aberline would have had because you probably would not have recognized him. And I think that's a part that most Ripper films don't take the aspect of doing is actually going the extra mile to make their characters disappear into the roles themselves. Now, that's an interesting point you bring up because um, here you, uh, your main critique of the movie seems to be the accuracy of the crime scenes and the locales in and around Whitechapel. And I think we'd all agree that um, that's one of the major drawbacks of the movie. But when, when the movie was released, if you recall, the main criticism from, the, from theater critics was that, oh, East End prostitutes would never look like Heather Graham. And, 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 mm-hmm. and so the casting, although you pointed out um, Johnny Depp um, not really looking like what you would think Aberline looked like, um, but, but um, it's, 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 it's a, to some, some folks, like to me and to you, Justin, it seems secondary. The casting of the parts beautiful prostitutes like Heather Graham, you know, seems secondary to the accuracy of the crime scene. So the, the portrayal of the victims um, accurately or, or the police officers isn't so much as important as just getting the, the nuts and bolts uh, of the murder sites correct. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that in all aspects is... You know, true as well as you know. Every every I believe everything in the, in the Ripper movie um, is important. Every single factor. You got the the crime scenes themselves are basically essentially a character. The way they feel, the the way they make. I, I believe, and not to go off on a wild tangent, that the way that a proper Ripper scene should look is actually from back then. Dark alleyways, this and that, wide open spaces, but also the narrow spaces, like on Bucks Row, like that animation video I did. Um, basically, the feeling is that you don't want to be here. You know, this is disturbing, and that's that's like I said, the crime scenes are a character in a Ripper film, no matter what you think, because they're the they're a vital role. The prostitutes themselves have always been portrayed as beautiful. These are women that, you know, you didn't want to touch even if you were on your your deathbed, sort of. You know, you wanted to stay away from them as far as possible. You know, they were carrying all sorts of diseases. And they were missing teeth. We all know, you know, that's not a good thing. But um, in all aspects, everything about this film was not accurate. And one of the, if I may mention an interesting note about this film, is the actress who played Annie Chapman actually looks like Elizabeth Stride. She could have passed for Elizabeth Stride. That's you know my main thing about that. Well, and yeah, I, I agree with you on that one, Justin. That uh, the actresses, for those of us who are familiar with the case, are, are a bit confusing uh, because you associate different actresses for uh, different roles. I think they should have switched them around, as as you suggest, because I always found it confusing because mm-hmm. Liz Stride didn't look like Liz Stride, you know. So, mm-hmm. but yet the Barlow and Watt um, the television made for. British television series in the 70s did a pretty good job um, of, yeah. of matching. I mean, Eddowes kind of looked like Eddowes. And, and, um, and this, the murder sites, um, the eeriness, and, you know, and, I mean, yeah. uh, they, they really were able to take on a very limited budget and, uh, do, and, and, and do a very good job on um, recreating the murders. 
But yeah. And then here we well, have think, Hollywood with millions and millions of dollars thrown out. Uh, that's because they don't pay respect to the case. That's all. The bottom line is money. They don't res pay respect to the well, case and the history of the and, White and Chapel. Also, and also, you know, as we know, uh, you know, the studio says it's based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell. Um, but it truly isn't. I mean, they've changed a lot of things about it. I mean, in the graphic novel, the point of view is from uh, Gull, the killer, uh, right. throughout, throughout. And, uh, of course, they dispense with uh, Robert James Lee's and throw his abilities onto Aberline for the film. And so they don't even make uh, the graphic novel that, you, you know, And the lesbianism that Kelly, uh, yeah. in, in, uh, from hell, in the book, that's not, that doesn't appear in the film. No. And also the graphic novel is heavily footnoted, and, and, and that's the best part of the graphic novel, if you ask me. And, and, and if you read through the footnotes, I mean, these guys did their research, and they almost argue against their suspect in a, in a lot of their footnotes. And, and, you know, they bring up a lot of different suspects and a lot, and, and, um, a, a lot of detail, you know, that, um, that the movie didn't incorporate at all. Mike, what do you want to say about From Hell? Um, you know, like Justin said, sets are important. Um, I watched it this week with the commentary, um, and I think it was the the guy in charge of the photography. He's basically in charge of setting up the scene and you know the lighting. And at one point, he actually said, "You know, this is as close to the scene as." You could possibly get it. No one's ever come this close, and yet it, noth it looked nothing like you know the murder scenes. The first murder in the movie is of uh, is set at George Yard, um, which we know had an arch on the way in. Yet in the movie, um, there's a giant gargoyle's head, um, and when the murder's taking place, the camera pans out and you get this giant gargoyle's head in screen, and it just looked nothing like the actual scene. Um, that said, um, there's also so many um, bloopers in the film. Um, historical stuff um, that they've got wrong, um, but also stuff like continuity, um, a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, and, and as a big Hollywood film, you'd have thought that it picked up on it, even down to silly things. Um, one of the scenes where they go to the cemetery, uh, there's a crow sat on a a headstone, um, and when the crow flies off, um, the headstone wobbles. Um, you know, silly little <laughs> things like that. But there's a lot of, you know, I'd say maybe 40 um, errors alone in From Hell. Um, so you know, once I've finished nitpicking at them, um, it's almost the end of the movie. Um, but you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff as well is quite revealing because it, it for me. All right, they might not have looked like the victims, but the, the dummies that they created off the bodies, um, you know, they were saying that they were so lifelike to the actresses that were playing um, the unfortunates that when the actresses came on set, they couldn't bring themselves to look at their um, likenesses um, and the kind of disgusting things that they'd done to them when they, they chopped them up and cut them open and, and stuff like that. So... I mean, again, it depends what mood I'm in. You know, if some days I can sit and watch it, and other days, you know, I get bored. 
Well, and and, and and it's true, Mike. Like you know, any any movie you watch, whether it's from Hell or other movies, you we we as ripperologists tend to sit there and, and nitpick. You know, oh, yeah. and it's 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 difficult just to fall into the narrative and 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 just watch it for pure enjoyment. You yeah. know, because we're saying because. You know, we'll be watching like the '88 miniseries, for example, with uh, Michael Caine, and we'll say, "Well, no, no, you know, the, you know, this didn't." And and one of the things, oh, while, while I'm on that subject, um, I'd like to bring up the portrayal of Aberline in, in both From Hell and the miniseries. Uh, like, not the not the addiction part. I mean, we've we've seen that, and I think they just want to give the character a flaw. But what's always bothered me is they always show him as sort of a single man. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, instead of being married at the time as he was, and uh, married in the same church that Donston was born, uh, married in. Ab- absolutely, yeah, right. a- absolutely, and and I think that would add a lot of dimension to his character. And it was nice to see that in reading Justin's screenplay that they actually start in 1903 with Aberline and his wife Emma in retirement, and uh, so nicely done with that, Justin, because I think mo- more people need to see that. I think, I think it's uh, not did. to butt in here, but I think. Go ahead, oh, Justin. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, sorry about that. I think, I think an interesting aspect is that is to include that. I think makes it even an interesting story, like you even said, John. It's um, it's sometimes including the facts is a much better way of interpreting the whole crime itself. Here, you had a man who was juggling with uh, the worst crimes ever in the history of London in my opinion. And, you know, he, in other films, it seemed, you know, his support seemed to fall back on alcohol, this and that. Whereas in real life, he was, you know, a normal person who had his wife there throughout the whole entire thing, throughout the struggles of trying to catch this killer. And that in itself is even a little story inside the actual story of Jack Ripper. And that's another interesting aspect to include in a film is, you know, he was, he was married, you know, he had a marriage just like any normal couple back then would have and throughout all these hard times you know his wife was there um standing by him the entire time and that's an interesting aspect you know i wanted to include in this screenplay itself well uh, okay well on a final point uh, i wanted to bring up about from hell was that um i mean granted the hughes brothers don't have the budget of a martin scorsese or a maybe even a roman polanski but uh, or apparently the BBC, but um, um, in in the years that uh, uh, preceded, uh, well, postdated from hell, I guess it would have been. Um, we saw Gangs in New York, in, in which uh, Martin Scorsese was able to build up from the ground up the Five Points um, district of New York City, and and make it one hundred percent authentic. Um, Roland Polanski did Oliver Twist, filmed in Prague, where um, he recreated the East End of London and in the 1850s and made that um, very realistic. And then, and then um, just uh, this year, the BBC did Oliver Twist again, and they actually filmed in London. And... Um, with with no sets, using existing back alleys, and we're able to uh, conjure up um, eight, uh, the 1850s Oliver Twist story. So um, so it can be done. I mean, uh, an, an authentic looking 
Ripper movie, uh, ha- you know, was uh, Barlow and Watts pretty much nailed it in the '70s for what they had available at the time. But as we go along, there have been these um, these these sparks of you know these uh, of movies that have been able to recreate these urban scenes um, that that no longer exist. I mean, if you think the East End of London has changed in the last hundred and forty years. Um, just think about um, the five-point section of New York City. Yeah. Um, and so um, it, it is possible, maybe it's a pipe dream that, you know, we all hope for, uh, a, you know, a really accurate um, um, down-to-earth portrayal of the Ripper murders, but... Um, and maybe that's something Justin uh, can deliver using computer graphics um, and, and, you know, 21st century technology. Um, but, um, but, it, but it is something that, you know, we're all movie fans. And, and we'd, I'm sure we'd all like to see a Jack the Ripper movie that, um, that, that really gets it right. And... And uh, save from hell for you know uh, inter- entertainment value and for the newbies for for the newbies. Well, hope yeah, save and, for the newbies. And save for the newbies. I guess that is a benefit um, that new people are brought into the case, and uh, and then and then we have to uh, deal with uh, steering them in the right direction. <laughs> Yeah. Forget everything you've seen in From Hell, and <laughs> and then and then come back to talk. Exactly. So, um, now now um, on Jack the Ripper forums, um, there's some kind of new uh, BBC production in the works of a modern day um, television of a television show set in the modern day in which some. Um, a London detective tracks a serial killer who is trying to recreate the murders of Jack the Ripper. Did anyone, did, do you guys read about that one? No, it's my website and I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, Tim posted up a link to it. Um, it's it's a, a BBC, I believe it's a, one of the BBC channels is coming out with uh, and, and later this year. A, a mini series. Um, I'll find the link um, on on Howard's website and uh, post it in the show notes. Uh, Tim found that link, so um, boy's gonna have to get a raise. And there was also in there in, in like a year or so ago, there was also a rumor of another Ripper movie coming out, and. Um, and on, on Casebook's website, they uh, posted uh, photographs of the supermodel that was playing Mary Kelly. Does anyone recall that one? No. 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 Uh, well, well, I do, and and uh, I'll try to find information about that too. But there are um, there are new adaptations of, of the Ripper tale in the works. Um, well, and, and isn't there supposed to be a new Lodger coming out? I don't... Uh, in 2008. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, it, yeah. Actually, as a, as a... As, sorry to interrupt, but as a 
Robert said, there is a new one coming out, but I actually read on the uh, the director has a website. I'll send it to you as soon as this is all done, John. It's actually a modern version of The Lodger set in L.A., which I'm okay. a little skeptical of something like that. But. Right. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've got the link to that, so I'll send it over to you. Um, a couple rents out a room to a mysterious young man who may or may not be guilty of a series of grisly neighbourhood murders based on the same book used by Alfred Hitchcock's 1927 thriller The Lodger. Um, David Onjati is both the director... his name's James. The director is the writer of the screenplay and has also adapted it as well. Um, but they've got principal cast. Um, it looks quite quite interesting. All right, well, we'll sure keep an eye out for that one. Um, the, yeah, the uh, link will... To, what is it from the independent movie, movie database or? That's correct. Yeah, I'll provide you with that. All right. Uh, yeah, that'll be available in the show notes. Um, <coughs> so, um, any um, other movies that you guys want to discuss? I know Howard um, picked up a copy of Kinski's Ripper. Um, oh, do I have to talk about it? It's so bad. <laughs> so bad. No, I don't have to talk about it. Those continental <laughs> Europeans, they're, they're, uh, they're, worse than, they're worse than Hollywood, buddy. They're the that, worst. One's not, that one's not worth discussing. Oh, it's just awful. Yeah, it's really bad. But, you know, in, in, in all Ripper movies, there's usually, you know, it, like you guys were talking about the mood, uh, as, as much as I... You know, I like some movies more than others. I, I, I like them all because there's usually one thing in them that, that gets my mind working to think about threads. And I might take that idea and I write it down and a couple of days later I'll, I'll put a thread up on the site. Even in a, in a movie, the, the Kinski movie. But uh, no, it's it's not really worth discussing. It's, it's, it's incomparable. It's that bad. It, you can't really compare it to any other ones that I know of. How about you, Robert? What do you think of it? Uh, yeah, it's it's it could be you know considering the budget they had and considering yeah. a major star at the time. Uh, yeah, Kins- Klaus- Kinski was Klaus- big. Kinski. You- yeah, especially in the seventies, and he made some wonderful films as we know with uh, Warner Herzog and and yeah. uh, to do something like that, like you know, it it could be the worst Ripper film. Than, uh, well, there. there's the one with Anthony Perkins. The one with Anthony Perkins isn't much better. Yeah, they're they're pretty close, but. Yeah, you can forget about that. Watch anything else, yeah. and you'll, you'll be it'll be a much more pleasant experience. It, you, you know, know it, you it, like yeah, go ahead, Alex. You know, it, it, I'm sorry. Is, is it me, or is, as time goes along, the Ripper movies are actually getting worse or uh, farther away from the facts? Is it, is it me, or is it? They are because you know, as uh, Jonathan pointed out. I mean, we started off with these lodger theories, these mysterious yeah. characters. Which yeah. is basically what the Ripper is, uh, and and now we've uh, moved to royalty, royalty and masons, and uh, <laughs> you couldn't get really further away than that. Yeah, or Doctor Orloff. Um, yeah, and um, and 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 apparently the 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 not to dwell on the Kinski movie, but it is it a it seems to be a really long movie. 
No, it isn't that long. It just seems that like 90, way. Yeah, yeah. That's it's right. it's, it's only, only 90 minutes. It's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's 90 minutes or 84 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a short movie, but it seems like it lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if I may jump in just for a, a quick second with something uh, I wanted to mention, because uh, um, just to give it a, a, a quick uh, shout so that uh, some intrepid researchers could look into this. Um, a few years ago, uh, oh, this must have been a while ago, maybe five years ago or so, um, Stephen Ryder was looking into, uh, lost movies and, uh, movies that the library, that the Library of Congress lists. Uh, these are silent films going back before 1910. Uh, and, you know, uh, it would be a great research point for people to look into those. Because there was something called The Berlin Jack the Ripper made in 1909, um, Life of a London Bobby in 1903, where um, it's it's sort of like a, a chase film where the the cop actually chases uh, somebody into Whitechapel, and and that's lost. And and it would be a shame like if it's lost forever because it would be nice to see something like that because we would actually see these streets of East London, you know, 15 years after the Ripper crimes. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, some of these lost films that are listed in catalogs, like at the Library of Congress, it, it would be interesting for those who are in the business or even, uh, you know, interested in research to, to dig a little further into those. And maybe we could uh, come up with a, uh, some silent film uh, era footage. Yeah, yeah that would be a worthwhile endeavor. Yes, definitely. Um, you said that movie was, was called The Berlin Ripper. Uh, it's called Berlin uh, Jack the Ripper. Uh, it's a 1909 film that's listed in the uh, uh, Library of Congress catalog. Uh, there's an, and there's a, a Spring Hill Jack book uh, that's probably... It, it's difficult to say if it's based on the Spring Hill Jack legend or if it incorporates uh, many legends, and that was the 1909 release. And the life I've got... Uh, yeah, I've got man. a link as well. I've got a link to the Berlin Jack the Ripper um, movie, and I'll send you that as well through the. I'll send that in a message to you. Um, it's just basically an overview of the ten classic movies presents the greatest motion pictures of all time um, from one of the largest film libraries um, in the world, um, and it's their Berlin Jack the Ripper, Nancy and Um So I'll I'll send that link to you wow. as well. So so it does exist in that. And it looks like it, yeah. I'd click on the site now, but I think there's some audio, so it'll probably come on and you'll be drowned out by. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll leave it for now, but I've, I've got it. It's bookmarked, um, and I'll send it to you. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, well, uh, any uh, final words on um, Jack the Ripper in the movies or on television that you guys want to talk about? Just want to yeah. say good luck to Justin in his film endeavor. Absolutely. And keep, Thank you. Uh, and keep us up to date with it. Oh, I, I will. More than okay. happy to, of course. I, I, will, I will say uh, one note here. Um, when you guys were talking about length, I actually, when when the first draft of the entire script was done, it ran at a total of four and a half hours long. That's how um, much uh, stuff I put into it. Um, you can probably expect the same thing with the finish of the second draft as much info, and I will 
keep in mind that everything will be filmed, and even though there won't be everything, including in the final product, you can expect to see a lot of deleted scenes make their way to a future DVD release for that. So, all right, now, um, well, we we thank you, Justin, for coming on and and talking about your your uh, film um, that you hope we can see a trailer by the end of the year. And um, if, if anything is prepared by the uh, USA Ripper Convention in October, and, um, then bring it along, because I'll be there. Absolutely. I, now, I'm uh, more, more than happy to. In the last few minutes, I wanted to ask you guys, and I meant to ask you last week, um, this is um, off the topic of, of Ripper in the movies, but there was an um, article in the last Ripperologist about the uh, witness Charles Cross and how um, he had been apparently using an alias, Charles Lechmare, which um, the uh, article in Ripperologist uh, uh, didn't um, quite get to the level of research that's been done just in the week since then. Um, in that um, Lechmere was apparently this man's father's name, and and um, and he uh, changed his name. But what what do you guys think about um, about that whole story? Because it, it cre- created a little bit of a stir. Um, yeah, I uh, John, I tried to get Michael Connor onto the forums. I contacted the people at Ripperologist Magazine. And Chris George said that he would try to get in touch with him and let him know that we were interested in having him on the site so we could discuss Charles Cross. I think that he's worth a forum in, in himself, especially in light of the two or three articles that uh, Michael Connor has written about Charles Cross. Would you agree, Mike, Robert? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, if Charles Cross is somebody else, you know, under a different name, we need to know more. And, and yeah. in general, we need to know more about Charles Cross because he did come across the body of Polly Nichols in Buck's Row. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, some people have tentatively even put him forward, as we know, as a suspect, which, you know, he'd make a better suspect than uh, many of the fantasy ones out there. But absolutely knowing more about him, yeah, definitely uh, something to follow. It's, it's, it's a story to follow. Yep. And Mike, do, do, you have, do you have any comments about that? I've not read the article, but again, you know, research is important. We need to try and find out as much as possible and, you know, see who this guy actually was, if you want to who he said he was. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the initial um, impression, was that, um, yeah, the discoverer of the first Ripper victim, the first canonical Ripper victim, um, uh, lied about his name, Um and, and, and is found in the census under a, a, a completely different name um, year after year after year. Um, but it has since come to light that the name um, Cross was his, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, his father's name. And his father was a police officer. So maybe um, he, he giving his father the police officer's last name you know what was just uh, some something you know th- that we would all take advantage of if we were put in the same situation as as, as he 
Right? Isn't that how it kind of turned out? Well, it, it may be. I mean, I, th I think it just needs uh, more verification. Uh, and, and ultimately, we have to see why. If there is a name change, like if it is, why did he change it? Right. Well, just why so we can that, check that into his background. Well, yeah, right, exactly. right, right. From what I understand, um, he the the name Charles Cross uh, was was only given um, to the investigators of the murder, whereas he in the census uh, consistently appeared under a different name. And so the speculation is that he gave his name as Cross to the investigators because. Um, he was related to a police officer named Cross, and maybe that would they would recognize the name or you know treat him differently because he had a, uh, a, a father who was in the force. You know, so. But anyway, some some had said it had trumped the uh, discovery of um, uh, Lewenda. Lewand, yes. Yeah, Joseph Lewenda. Yeah. And, it, and it was kind of overlooked, and I know I mentioned that on, on a past episode of, of the podcast, and, um, and so I wanted to um, bring up the, the Charles Cross situation just to see uh, what everyone's opinion was. Is it, is it possible that it was just, uh, I mean, if it was his stepfather's name, and he was adopted, but his actual father was a police officer... Could it have been just innocent that he was using his his father's his father's name or? Yeah, um, I I I, th I believe that um, he went by the last name Cross as a small child. Yeah, and then and then um, and then later reverted back to his birth name. Yeah. Um, and and then in, in eighteen eighty eight gave the name Charles Cross um, to the to the investigators uh, yeah. when he discovered the the body of Nichols. Yeah. Yeah, that's something he had to do on the spot. It does yeah, sound I suspicious. Agree. No, it doesn't it's sound a, yeah. suspicious to me either. Yeah. I do the same thing. Um so all right, well, we've ran about an hour. So I want to thank Howard Brown for joining us from Philadelphia again this week. Good to be here again, buddy. And Mike Covell from Hull. Thank you for having me. And Robert McLaughlin from Edmonton in Canada. It was a pleasure, gentlemen. And, and our special guest, Justin Dombrowski, who is in Erie, Pennsylvania. As a pleasure talking with all you guys and getting everything out there in the open. Have fun. It, it, it was a pleasure talking to you too. And um, we are available for download at www.rippernet.com in the podcast section. You can find our podcast in the iTunes Music Store, keyword Jack the Ripper. And we're also on the Podshow Network at www.rippercast.podshow.com. It's all free. You can stream or download any of those things.